G'day ladies and gents, welcome to Life of Mine, the go-to mining podcast. Maddie Michael here and today I have with me Richard Butcher, who is the Executive Vice President for Technical at Goldfields and he's been an integral part of the new Goldfields modernisation project. So what is modernisation you might ask? Well, you've come to the right place to find out but in a nutshell, it's a collective of how, it's how the world is transforming in aspects such as the digitalization the way people are acting as a result of it and goldfields as a mining company have recognized that their business has to evolve because of it so in this chat with richard we'll talk about some of the innovation and digitalization seen in the mining industry so far and what goldfields plan is to harness this as a part of their modernization towards what they call the goldfields mine of the future so real interesting chat with richard anyway let's get into it right we're on richard butcher from goldfields how are you mate i'm fine how are you going oh fantastic we've um we've been very very efficient in our uh, organization today this is uh we we come in for initial meeting then uh i guess an hour later we're into a podcast this is very exciting i know yeah you that's normally what happens with me <laughs> when i'm actually when i'm actually roaming around the world and things like this is everything's got to be done pretty quickly yeah. well i uh it's taught me a valuable lesson today is always take my gear with me well, have you ever been a Boy Scout? Be prepared. No, yeah. Well, maybe I should have. Maybe I've uh, <laughs> failed on the upbringing there. <laughs> you travel around the world a bit. You said you're a bit like Kate. You've got multiple platinum cards I, with airlines. I do, yeah. Look, I've got kind of platinum. I've got come with my job. I've got platinum on kind of one world. I've got platinum on, uh, got platinum kind of on uh, uh, Star Alliance as well. And I've got all the other things, which is basically means you don't have a life in this spe- spe- <laughs> that, spendy world on an aeroplane and the, stuff uh, like that. That's the exact words she used as well. So, here, mate, I've just we've had a, had a brief look at your resume. We've, uh, I think we can establish you've, uh, you've been around, you've been in the game for a while. Does it you, – you would have been through so many stages of, of innovation, like, like going from where you, when you first started in the mining industry to, to where innovation and technology has gone to now and then – I guess where take us back to when you first started in the mining industry. Where where was what was considered fancy technology back then? Well, I think you got to look at it this way. I mean, I kind of started what over thirty, probably thirty six years ago in the mine industry, and I actually started when I was about sixteen. I actually started as an apprentice mining engineer in the coal mines in the UK. So if you've seen movies like Brassed Off and Billy Liar and all those types of stuff, that's the type of environment I started there. So I started in quite heavily mechanized mechanized coal mines. And those are quite heavily mechanized, but still there was a lot of manualization, manual work in those coal mines. There was certainly a lot of like, but there was certainly like a lot of remote operations in those coal mines. But in terms of the metals mines, there wasn't so much mechanization. So if you look at what probably we're, what the biggest things I've seen is the actual digitization and the actual use of computers. I mean, when I first started in, in the coal mines, in the mining industry, we used to have a typist pool. We used to, have, used to write out your reports in your best handwriting, 
take them to an office where there was a bunch of ladies with, with typewriters banging away on keyboards, which you see in those movies, and you'd have a typist pool. Today, when you look at that, that typist pool doesn't exist. Everyone's got a word processor. So you see, you see also, you see also things such as in planning. You, when I first started in the mining industry, we used to draw the plans by hand. There was no CAD. There was no, there was no data mine. There was no Deswick. Everything was done manually by hand. We'd all kind of have scale rules. Light all, table? Was a light table you'd have light use? tables, you'd have to have scale one. rules. Yeah. We'd even have 3D perspex models. So if you actually look at what computers have done in my lifetime, they've actually shifted that from a very, very manual drawing type of thing, writing type of thing, to something which is done basically on, on a computer screen and where we can where we can produce data pretty quickly. I mean, you'd used to go underground, you'd plot up your surveys, you'd draw it on the hands, and now you can quickly do designs and reiterate designs. I, even your ring charges, when I first started in the mines, we used to draw draw the ring designs by, by hand. We'd have an outline and we'd draw the ring designs. It was only in, say, about the 1990s did we have computer-aided drafting for ring designs, and still then we'd actually be putting the charge lengths and the collar lengths on by hands and where the, the debt positions are. So the whole thing of as an engineer, as a surveyor, has totally changed as well do you, in terms of that. Uh, do you think, have, have you seen... And in like compared to when you were working back then, I assume mines were still being run efficiently. You're still get getting. Uh, I guess there was still a good element of accuracy in in those ring designs. But have you seen a, the benefits of dig, digitalization in terms of the efficiency of extraction? I think if we look at the basic mining process, I think it's pretty much the same. If you look at our technical processes of being able to deliver plans, being able to deliver surveys, I mean, if you look at the work which has really changed underground has been the work as a surveyor and the work of marking up faces, of marking up development ends. I mean, that was extremely extremely manual when I used to do it with a paint pot and you didn't have any lasers and stuff like that. Yep. We'd use grade chains and... Yeah, well, you uh, see it in, now still in like geo-controlled drives, you've got your grade pins where the, the survey's yeah. put in and you're just uh, extrapolating from that for your grade for the room, possibly a lot of metres usually. But, but, but years ago, we'd actually set them out all the time. We'd set rails out all the time. I uh, would set kind of, you do your engineering control all the time, but you'd actually do it manually with tapes and things like that. So those are the types of things which have been quite quite modernized and the speed at which we can do things is tremendously more efficient. Uh, the speed, at, if you look at the equipment, the, the, the actual, uh, certainly when I worked on the ground first with jumbos, they'd be belching out smoke and heat and stuff like that and it was really hard to actually work in the ends because they, they were actually so hot and you see a lot of our environmental controls underground have certainly actual environmental conditions are actually totally revolutionized the worker surveyors have totally revolutionized the speed which we can do budgets and plans has revolutionized as well uh, the types of people which we have in the industry i mean if you look at when i started you might have one or two women. Today, we've got 10, 15, 20% of the workforce as, as ladies in our organization. So the whole dynamic of the industry has actually changed, certainly in my lifetime as well. Do you do you think the, the digitalization up up until this point and, and further on to where it's going to go has is, is enabled such a, a diverse range of people, whether it is male, female, any anyone around the world can come into the mining industry due to the 
how simple it has been made by the digital software to, to be able to do your job. Any, anyone can be a part of it. Well, look, at, I mean, say actually look at where we're going in terms of this. You'll actually look at what's actually happening is we're moving from a brawn-based industry to a brain-based enterprise. The industry is actually homogenizing or becoming normalized to basically a factory process. Now, that's a fair way away. But we're probably going like the same as a car industry. If you look at the car plants about 40 years ago, there was blokes on, on production lines with spanners and hammers. And now we see robots and we see if you go to, a, uh, say, the car works, you'll see it's just like a normal factory. Very clean, very neat, very silent. And we're actually moving more towards that. And that's where, where this technology is really taking us. But I think one's got to really understand something. The core processes of how we're how we're going to do things are pretty much going to stay the same. Um, you know, like building an aeroplane, you know, you've got to glue the wings on, you've got to put the body on, you've got to put some engines, the physical, you've got to design the thing. The physical process will still stay the same. A lot of this stuff just helps you do it a little bit more faster and cleaner and more efficiently. Yeah, and with, I guess, mining specifically, let's just, um, let's speak underground specifically, yeah. which is obviously underground is uh most of majority of goldfields operations do you think underground has been very innovative until this date or do you think it is on the other end of the scale where it's like you'd notice how we're still it's very similar excavation meth methods because they are so efficient the the high speed development in australia you can't get much more efficient yeah at the moment other methods have been tried but do you think there's how do you rate underground mining's innovation to date? Oh, look, I mean, let's let's kind of have a look at it, where we are. If you look at where we were 40 years ago, where, thing, where development ends were done with air legs. Yep. 40, 50 years ago, if you walked in here, if you walked in Western Australia 40 years ago in Cambaldi, you'd see everything was done with air legs. People were drilling off real piles. They had mats, they had mesh. They're anchoring the air leg, air leg legs on the, and you'd actually develop your, your kind of your, your hard, your hard heading or your development end with actual, with actual, with air legs. And you'd have to bog, bog the kind of real pile out. You'd have to, people were using, using jump, jumbo buckets. They were using LHD buckets and jumbos to, to really bar down, to bar the back down. If you look at those manual days, we were using drill carriages. To actually drill in South Africa up until the up until say the 1990s, we're with rail ends, with rail with rail boggers, and if you look at in the in the last 10 years, you'll see a lot of our mines are pretty well mechanised now. It's only probably in some areas like in South Africa or Russia where they're pretty manual mines, or the Philippines. So you see, there has been a modernisation. Everyone says we're backwards and what have you, but if you look at the last 40 years, there has been. It has been a move from manual processes and manual work to actually mechanized underground machinery such as boggers and jumbos and long holes. So we have so people complain about the mining industry being behind, but there has there has been that trend if you've seen in the industry. So we're not like maybe we're not like space age, but there has been a continuous improvement over the last 40 years. The other one to really understand is a lot of our mines aren't that simple to mechanize. Um, if you, a lot of the mines are narrow, you've got to get into the mines. They're not bulk, bulk type deposits. 
uh, near surface deposits like say in the iron ore mines where you can quickly put a rail haulage in or or where it's really a mass movement factory type exercise so you've got got to take those types of things into understanding so there has been innovation applied in mines three there has been kind of uh, there are innovative systems so maybe we're probably not where we should be uh, but certainly we haven't stood still either but I think there's so many different elements to innovation like there's the technology of getting it done underground but it, it seems there's a big focus now and I'll We'll get into this later. I think the Goldfields has acknowledged this that the a lot of the innovation needs to be done with how to make people's jobs easier in terms of data management and efficiencies and organisation. Because like that's there's so many wheels in the cog that need to be turning uh, to make the holes in the cheese line up to get an efficient operation. And and there's so many more. The innovation we think of is like how we're how the work's being done down the hole but there's so such a big aspect that needs to be as you said digitalized and modernized to take that next step in innovation i think yeah but i think it's important to realize what innovation is i mean most people think about innovation as well wallace and gromit i'm not sure if you've ever seen wallace and gromit the big day out where they want to go to the moon and Wallace goes and makes a space rocket in the back of his yard and they, they go to the moon to go. And most people think of that, that very radical transformational type innovation, such as building a new iPhone or an iPod. And most people tend to think of innovation as that type of radical type change in society. But when you look at innovation, really what innovation is about is adding continuous improvement to your operations. And there's various classes of innovation. There's such as they call it sustaining innovation. And that's where you make some very, very subtle, small changes, such as putting a gravity gold plant up, improving your planning process, coming up with a better idea how to do your plods. Um, very, very small, subtle changes. That's called sustaining innovation. And the mining industry is actually very, very good at that. Then you have another class of innovation, they call it class two or a medium innovation, where that's like changing a product. In other words, you change Coke from Coke Zero. It's a modification of the product, the latest Toyota or something like that. And then you have this called transformational, which is building your new iPhone or Wallace's space rock. So you've got to understand when you look at innovation, right, people tend to look at the most heavy aspect of transformational innovation. Now, what the mining industry is very good at is we're very good at sustaining innovation. We're very good at things such as our BI-type processes, generally making gradual improvements towards our industry. And that's probably some of what, certainly when I came into Goldfields, where we're trying to harness our innovational technology strategy is to harness that very, very basic uh, problem solving, making your business better. I mean, if you look at, say, innovation in the businesses, if you get a bunch of miners around and you ask them, you've got a problem and you put them in, very quickly those people will organize a problem. They'll come up with solutions to that problem. So it's that very, very tactical innovation which people are very, very good at. The other stuff, like the heavy stuff, building your iPhone and things like that, 90% of people fail at that anyway. So you've got to understand what really innovation is. It's about making your business continually improve. And let, let's look at your, your, I guess, your personal um, view on innovation now because you've, 
it's the interesting part about this. So you've you've come out of the uh, you you started in the mining industry in the eighties, nineteen eighty three, in the coal mines, and you, yeah, as I've said, you've gone through such a you've been in that like close to forty years. How much it's changed? You've been you've been a part of it, but you see a lot of people. I guess you'd refer to them as the old school type that get caught in the old ways. Where where do you where when did your view change or has it continually changed for the need for innovation have you always been sort of looking at the next step of technology not focusing on how it was done or how you're more focused on how it can be done better well i think the bottom line is let's look at this way it's important that the the tail doesn't wag the dog right this stuff is about making our business better and more efficient and making the business more efficient and safer and safer for the people. That's that's what the focus of this stuff is. So if you're, you're generally in the mining, technical, operational point, you should be focused on these things. And this technology is just really a tool to achieve this. Um, what's become very, very apparent within the last couple, five, ten years is that all our society is changing. If you look around, you look at the amount of digitization we have in society, you look at, say, the way in which people, the new generation of people which is coming through in society, the millennials, the generation Y, think very, very differently about the businesses. So what it's saying is there's a whole shift in our society. And if we don't understand that society is changing, and society's always changed, and the people in our industry are going to be very, very different. The social expectations of our people are going to be very different. If you look at that, in terms of that, then there's no way we can stand still and we have to start to think about modernizing the mining industry. And that probably started to really hit me about, say, seven, eight years ago, that we probably, even though we needed to continue to improve, but we really needed a shift in our business. The other one which really hit me was, if you remember back in 2012, when the mining boom came in and there was a slash for cash, a lot of folk lost their jobs. We tend to go through cycles of feast and famine. You're either hiring, firing, people are, are either on the street or we can't get people. That is not a sustainable thing for people in the mining street to have. Continue either, you're either earning big money or you're losing. There's no way we as an industry can sustain so the need to actually get our costs better, the need to work more efficiently, just to add stability to our industry. And that became very, very embedded for me in about 2012. Well, you hear it so often, you ain't got to talk to like a, a real estate agent, for example. They're like, Perth is a boom or bust economy. And that's yeah. exactly what you say. It's um, It's been entrenched that mining's either you're high and fl flying high or everyone's just sort of battening down the hatches to, to keep their jobs. And it's... There's oh, there's so many macroeconomic reasons why why this is this is going to happen. But as you said, you've modernisation and being able to improve efficiencies can make you. I guess any companies can survive in any economic condition. But you've also got to understand something. What's actually happening in the world? The world is on a cusp of another industrial revolution. You know, just like we have the steam age, and mm. after World War Two, we had like mass mass production then we have the computers coming in in the 80s we're now on another 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 side of society evolving is that do you mean by 
as in like a, a digitalization revolution. Is that we're what looking mean by for that? a digit? They call it the fourth industrial. If you read all the papers and all the propaganda, they, they call it the fourth industrial revolution. And what it really means is that coming together of all these technology technological processes. And what they're actually saying is, if you understand something, you can see this is that that they're saying that the way we communicate our social aspirations, the way people think about the world. If you look at, say, just now in Chile, they've got all these riots and social unrest and what have you. And that's that's a, a real reason that society is changing because people 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 want we're not giving wealth to a lot of our people because our industries and our processes can't actually give people the lifestyle which they want. So the whole world slowly but surely is actually starting to evolve. And the mining industry is just caught up in that, that evolution. The way, our, way my children think is very, very different to me. The way our industries act is very, very different to me. Now, the big thing about the mining industry is we're caught up in this stage where everything is changing, where everything is evolving. Yeah, look at how connected people are today. Look how the way we communicate. You can't even keep anything secret. Because if someone puts it on Facebook, everyone knows about it. And all that is changing the way in which we totally evolve, the way in which we work, our aspirations. And you can actually see that that, that the world is, is moving through a major change. And we in the mindstory are caught up in, in, that action, in that stage. We're caught up in the stage where things have to be a lot more efficient. We can't expose the people to the dangers, which we used to say. People won't want to work the type of hours. People won't want different working conditions. We're caught up in that social whole revolution. and The world is called the fourth industrial revolution. Do you think mining, some mining companies, uh, I guess their own enemy in terms of innovation or just mining, the mining culture as a whole in terms of the fact you've got to, you've got to deliver your set amount of ounces to shareholders each year. You've got your guidance, and which the risk of bringing in new technology and trials to affect your production profile deters some companies from that sort of innovation. Well, I think it does, but but I think there's an issue about it does. I mean, because so many, if you look at the mining three, we've been very bad at bringing in innovation, new ideas. And there's some, in my opinion, there's some real core reasons, okay? We've tried to do things which are not our core skills. If you look at like how- what? Well, I'll give an example. If you, look at how many, if you look at how many mining companies have tried to get into robotics- Yep. Or developing their own mining equipment, tunnel borers, um, kind of their own jumbos, robotic gears, electronics gears, survey gears, mining companies which have tried to get into that type of space of doing a job like uh, EpiRock or a Sandvik or someone like that. They've tried to say, well, let's go our own and do that. Now, if you look at a mining company, its core skill is to produce gold or copper or tin or nickel or whatever it is. We're not into developing pieces of gear. We're not into develop. We don't have the financial muscle, the intellectual muscle, the technical smarts. That's what Sandvik does. Why, why do you think they've done that, but is it purely trying to cut out the middleman and reduce cost? Why? Because I think people, I think because people have seen an opportunity and they've not really thought it through. They've not really thought it through and, and they've tried to deal with some very, very heavy technical problems 
And what's happened is they've thought the solutions are very simple. I could give you an example. When I worked for Anglo American years and years ago, we looked at cutting out um, gold reefs using diamond sores and firing chromite. And they spent millions of dollars trying to perfect that technology. And they've never done that because it's just a fundamentally hard question. What mining people are good at is mining. So when we talk about technology, what people try to do is they try to take transformational technology, things that aren't proven, and they try to put them into a mining environment where the equipment is not proven or it's only semi-proven. And then what that, that actually happens is that actually destroy that, that destroys the production process and people normally go and park the technology or don't want to use it or what have you. So, I mean, if you actually look at a, a good strategy for a mining company, and this is what we've done in Goldfields, is we would take proven technology. If you've got proven technology, there's lots of technology, lots of technical processes out there which are proven, which are on the shelf, which are proven. You don't have to go through the learning curve. You don't have to spend millions of dollars. You've just got to go and put them into your operation and get them to run. And you don't have to jump the hurdles. And if you look at some of the processes, some of the foundational concepts of the Goldfields innovation technology thing is to take that proven stuff which is already out there and to get it to work. I'll give you an example. In our Ghanaian operations, we're taking high-precision GPS drills okay, on our surface. That's a pretty, pretty, that's been in the industry for the last five years. And it's been perfected now. So you can go take that technology, put it in, and, redu and reduce your operating costs now. And what, what does that do when you say high-precision GPS? Is that saying a, a, surface, a surface drill can be sitting, sitting on the, in, a, in a pit and automatically aligned to any hole, that, That's right. So in other words, you can come along, you can remotely drive your rig. Yep. You can, it, it will download the drill patterns, and it will drill by GPS on the drill patterns to the precise collar. What is there with the capability of GPS on the surface? Has there been much more, uh, I guess, a, a faster innovation of that sort of technology on the surface compared to underground because of the presence of GPS? Basically, yeah. I mean, the surface guys are a lot more far ahead of you because obviously there's not the limitations, there's a, the communication is better. But still, you can still do still you can do certain things underground, not as well as you can do on surface. But if you look at the Pilbara Iron, they use those types of that technology all the time. So when you talk about technology, there's a lot of stuff out there which we're not using, which we can go grab and make make our lives easier today without putting millions of people unemployed and make our businesses more profitable. So there's two words here that we've we've heard, I guess, a bit so far. One's innovation and one's modernization. Yeah. Is there a difference or are they the same? I think if we look at this way, I think people will always be innovative. In other words, trying to improve stuff, right? But if we look at the way the world is going, okay, the world is going, the world, there is a stronger focus on innovation today. There's a stronger focus on trying to make our businesses better by finding solutions to problems. Okay, because the reason that's that's what the big focus is, because the reasons why that is, is because some of our industrial processes have come to a point of a plateau. They can't make them any better. 
So that's why people are going on about, they're looking at the costs, they're looking at the escalations, they're looking at the productivities, and they're saying, can't we do better than that? And that's where this thing about innovation keeps coming coming from. I think when you talk about modernization, I think that's an overall banner for the mining industry where you say, let's roll up innovation, the change in culture, uh, the digitization. Basically, you're saying, can we can we make our systems a lot more modern? Can we integrate a lot more, a lot of these systems and processes? So you've got to understand there, modernization would be a whole banner. Innovation is just part of that. As so as do you think the mining industry has finally acknowledged the fact that, uh, as you said, innovation is such a small part, but there's such so much more, I guess, soft science and psychological stuff behind where people are these days. As you said, people, your your life is ruled by your mobile yeah. phone, and whether and it's harnessing the innovation technology to engage with these people more. Because like, as we were talking about before, like reading a reading a procedure on a PDF on the intranet doesn't really get the message across to people now compared to something like an audio means um there's so much what we were used to in the mining industry won't really i guess be effective or applicable to the new age people that aren't used to reading (laughs) the only thing they're reading is uh scrolling up and down their facebook page i think if you look at this way what i see from a senior level on this one there is there is a recognition that we have to change there is a recognition that things can't remain the same. There's a realization that the folk coming into the mine street are not the same folk as what we used to have in the mine street. Their aspirations, their goals, their lifestyles. Are. So there's a recognition that we have to change and we have to modernize. So the realization is there. Where sometimes it's maybe going wrong is how do you do that? And because in many cases, you're actually changing the way in which we've worked for over, say, 50, 60 years. And that's probably not the easiest thing to do. But the realization is there. The realization is what we're doing has got to change. You can see many companies have tried to change the way they do businesses. You know, you can probably talk to people in Rio Tinto, BHP. People will have various views how successful they'll be. But there's a realization that we've got to change from senior management. And how, how difficult is it from a corporate perspective to put forward such ideas of modernizing technology and systems within a company that you can't attribute extra ounces to. It's a, essentially like taking quantum leap like that as a, you would see it as a non-revenue generating um, initiative at the start. How, how hard is it to get corporate mining companies, do you think, on board for doing stuff like that? I think it's mixed. Um, I, I, I think it, it's quite it's quite mixed. Um, the problem you have is is I think everyone realizes we've got to do something here. The problem is when you're putting a lot of money down, and you say you would take say you take a a, a normal modernization process, you'd probably look at a company would look from a hundred million to a billion dollars. Yep. Okay. It's not a. You'd probably look spending couple of hundred million at the very least over three, four years, right? Across, that's how much that type of stuff would cost you. So, you know, when you come down and you turn around and everyone realizes we've got to change it, it, 
it does, there is an impact of saying, what does this really mean? And the problem with a lot of this stuff is it's quite, it's quite intangible, all right? The benefit, and some of these is intangible because you turn around, is the benefits work as a system. You know, if you take an iPhone and I can communicate to you better underground with an iPhone, how do you put a dollar, dollar value around that iPhone? Right underground, but you know it makes your you know it makes your makes your life easier. You know it makes your job. How do you put a, a dollar value around that? And that's synonymous with the way with this technology. You know, when we look at the world about the technology, they actually say that when we look at the technological change in the world in the digitization, productivities in the world has only increased by one percent because of digitization. And some of the problems is are the problem the fact that we're finding it very difficult to actually hard quantify the hard benefits of that. Give an example like Uber. Okay, how do you quantify the hard benefits of Uber as opposed to the hard benefits of a normal taxi? Well, Uber do it because they pay the guys not as much as what the other guys do, so it's quite easy. But for the Uber driver, for the efficiency, how do you quantify those those KPIs? So one of the problems we have in this new thing is how do you quantify those benefits of your iPhone, your procedures? The only way you quantify it is by the overall system benefits. In other words, how many ounces increase at the back of that. And that takes a bit of time to do. But people do realize the need to change on that. But when you've, it is a difficulty of the system. Because the natural, I think the natural response from someone, I guess the people paying the bills would be, look, as you said, $200 million modernization project. They say, right, the next 100,000 ounces we mine are going straight to modernization. That's They, they quantify it all in, yeah. in a short term without looking at the long term. Well, there's kind of like, if you look at what you find on your executive level is you get a mixed bag. Uh, you first of all get people who are really positive, you get people who are really saying how, exactly the type of stuff which you have, and you get real people then who then people who who really sit on the fence a bit. But I think the one which you've got to understand is one of the problems you have is people don't know how it works, don't know how how does this thing all clip together and bolt together to produce a better outcome at the end of the day. And I think that's where you probably get the resistance in terms of, and it actually does take a bit of time to work through that resistance. When, when did Goldfields really come to the, come to the come to the party in terms of uh, identifying the need for modernisation? Has this been just a, just recently? Not at all. I mean, if you look at Goldfields, you'll see that they're trying to be modernising, modernising the company or try to grapple with this modernisation of the company for over a decade. I mean, Nick Holland was one of the one of the guys who who actually looked at the deep level South African gold mines and looked at looked at things like robotics because he understood the very need that the way we were working was not sustainable. So we've been on this journey for for a, for a long time. The issue which we've had is just like a lot of people in the industry, we've not that been that successful because some of our focuses have been. On transformational innovation, you know, build, you know, something radical. When we came back in 2016, we said what we're doing wasn't going to be sustainable. So we, one of the things I was to to have a fresh look at this, and I said, let's do some real basic stuff. 
let's look at bringing kit in, which we know really works, trying to modernize in our processes, uh, trying to go to the guys on the sites and, and turn around and say, what do we think would, would work here? Trying to harness things like lean and BI and all the things you, which you see, trying to actually, the stuff which works in other, other parts of business, try to embed into the others. So what, a lot what more, is, sorry, what is lean and BI? Just for, lean and BI is a way in which we can, can problem solve on the mind. So it's a way in which we can actually, very, very simple type tools, looking at your production data, seeing where the bottlenecks are, uh, getting where where we have a problem, such as let's say uh, haulage productivity or jumbo productivity, getting teams in to go go team solve those problems, and where we can use the data from some of our production processes to help on that. So it's a way in which we can collaborate, where we can collaborate with everyone else to go and harness the group, harness harness the intellect of the whole team. And when you when you speak about the whole team. It sounds like that that encompasses operators as well. It just sounds does, like there's yeah. a very good focus here about acknowledging that these people are down there twelve hours a day at at the face in like any issues they're they're dealing with them on such a long term well, basis. I think that's something that's been uh, a downfall of some I oh, know personally, I oh, know when I was doing engineering, it's so easy to dismiss the opinions of operators because you think that you've put all the thought in up there. Why is this happening down there? Well, they're the experts. They know what's exactly. going on down there. And you also, if you look at this way, where you have a diverse team, that's extremely stronger. Where you have collective collective power of everyone, that's extremely strong. Because people look at things, you've got your engineers looking at a certain aspect, you've got your foreman looking at a certain aspect, you've got the operators looking at, and that diversity where everyone looks at the problem from a different angle is what actually lead what actually leads to to the cutting edge there. Yeah, the modernisation, I guess, forward looking from where we are now. What what you're doing within the company is this a this doesn't sound like a I guess a three month project by any means. How 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 long do you think this whole process is going to take? How how have you mapped out the goldfields modernisation? Well, what we've basically done is, if you look at our processes, we, we've effectively got a three-stage process over over five years, and it's broken down into to horizons. The first horizon about three years, called Horizon One, and that's a modernization process. In other words, we go out there, and what we do is we take the best technology which is which is into our operations, and we and we use that which actually works. Okay. And you can actually see that starting in some of our operations. Like if you go to some of our operations like Granny Smith's and St. Ives, you'll see a lot of telebogging done from surface. That's a standard piece of kit you can go buy. Uh, we'll see a high precision GPS drill put in there. We'll see we're increase we're we're improving our communication systems, such as with, with LTE type experiments in terms of that. What's uh, L, what's LTE? It's basically five G. Yep. Okay, so because all this stuff don't work unless it can communicate. Yeah. So we're, obviously you've got to upgrade your communication type systems uh, for it to work. So we've got to modernize our computer computer systems, modernize our, our sensor type system. These are things which you can get get out there now in terms of that. 
Uh, so that's the first stage is Horizon 1, is to actually modernize the infrastructure, get the best possible kit we can have, get the most modelable kit. Then the second stage is called Horizon 2, which is really where we integrate all these, these types of operations, where we have integrated control rooms, where we have the maintenance guys talking to the mining guys, uh, talking to the plant guys. So we, we integrate all the, all the systems on the mine to make it an end-to-end -end process. And Horizon 3 is where we look at semi-autonomous type of gear and semi-autonomous to automatic type of equipment, which would be your mind of the future. So if you look at this, it's the first stage is where we're on Horizon 1. We were about halfway through that. And you can actually start to see some, some practical examples of that. Like if you see our energy programs, you'll see some of the, the battery-powered and the solar farms in Agnew and uh, we're putting one up at Granny's. That's part of the, those types of programs as well in terms of the modernization. So there's a three-stage process which we're actually going through in terms of this. Uh, we've been, there's obviously a lot of planning. You know, you'll see there's a lot of folk which we've taken to Scandinavia. Some of our visions are based on what's currently going in Scandinavia. There's a company called Beleden. There's one of the most advanced mines in the world called Grappenberg, which is very, very similar to some of the operations we've got now, where we've got control rooms on surface, integrated uh, integrated systems. Uh, it's like a factory. It doesn't look like a mine at all. It's like a factory. Very highly diverse workforce. So we're trying to base our, our types of operations on those types of uh, on those those Swedish type operations. So how how big is the challenge of Goldfields as a global producer? How is it a is it a big challenge to I guess acknowledge the fact that what will work innovation will work in one country may not work in another, or are you attempting to have a homogenous system all throughout your operations? Well, what we actually look at this is is when we did this, we actually designed on a thing called a co-design process. So what we did was we put out the vision and we said to the guys in the regions, how would you modify that vision to suit your local conditions? Because obviously you're right, what works in Australia might not work in South Africa, might not work in, in South America. And what we've done is we've got a global vision and we've asked the regions to modify that to suit their local conditions. So in other words, if you look at this, the way we look at this as, as a bit of an example is if you look at a multi-story building, the core of that multi-story building is the same. It's got columns, it's got floors, it's got a foundation. But the outside of that multi-story building is, can be totally different. And that's how we see, that's how we see our, the cores will be pretty much the same. But how you dress it up and how you package it will be very, very different according to those, those local conditions. So one of the reasons why we every year we have a workshop, we bring everyone in and we, 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 we challenge these ideas of, of kind of what's going on in Australia. Is it fit for purpose in, say, South Africa and what have you? The, the Goldfields mine of the future, how much automation do you think will be there is it automation's a tough one to talk about because you yeah the the with i guess your your brain and is just made up and just the whole automation generally we don't know what we don't know can exist yet in a, in a decade's time a lot of the we look at where you think automation is going we don't even know some of the technology that will be coming out how 
do you think automation will get to the stage where it, for like a jumbo example can do it quicker than a human can well like the, i mean i i, th I think your question is will we remove operators from those units i think if you look at this i mean let's look at uh, i think it's sometimes to look at the past gives you an idea to look at the future right let's look at say boggers right today we have telebogging today we have autonomous loaders have we removed the loader operator totally from those those systems there's some form of loader operator intervention on those systems mm. so i would say in the next five if i look at the advance let's look at this way the human brain is a pretty clever thing a machine at the present time can't replicate what a human brain does so even though you may have certain processes which are automated on that that underground equipment to totally take the loader the loader operator away from that in the next five or six years i don't really see that that happening i see we will have a lot more equipment driven from surface i see that happening uh, we will have a lot longer shift trains i'll see I, I would see that type of trend within the next next heart decade coming on i would i would see more like the the boggers type system we would see as in the next decade. I, I think I think one of the greatest things about the innovation, the technology that, as you say, teleremoting, um, automated jumbos is. It's not the fact that it's it's having the capability to have a true twenty four hour operation because machine technology doesn't fatigue the human. Humans yeah. do. We fatigue. We're only we're good for twelve hours. We can't can't yeah. work for more than twelve hours. Having the best the best improvements I've seen of late is having that capability to to do work over shift change, for example. That's right. But I I, I would see that would be ex in the next half decade that would be extending, and you'd have more surface op operations there. Yeah. I mean, you're physically going to still need people to go down there and look at the machine and pull the machine out. It's just going to be a lot more quicker and automated within within the next decade. Um, I, I think when people, when we always touch on this, this subject, everyone always gets a bit worried. Uh, they get worried about job losses. In other words, are the machines going to take all our jobs away? I think that's the one which folk are always worried about. But I think it's important to to look look at history and to also look at the present when we look at that. The first of all, if you look at the world, the world's been evolving since the Stone Age, and we've never yet got rid of humans. Maybe the jobs have changed, and what we know when technology comes in, jobs change or jobs are destroyed and jobs are created. So that's yep. the first one we've got to understand. Example was the typist pool. You know, when I first started, we had ladies on typewriters. They've all gone away, but we've got an IT department instead. Yeah. Right? So things with change. Every, with every form of technology comes an IT support group, essentially. Okay. That's right. So yep. there's also another one as well is things take a lot longer to implement than what folk think. I mean, give an example. The example I would say is is your humble washing machine. If you go in your house, one of the most high-tech pieces of kit in your house is your washing machine. You know, you see that dumb box there and you press it in, it's got some fancy electronics in it. It's taken 80 years for the humble washing machine to be taken up in our, in our kind of society. 
And the reason why is because electric power had to had to come along and also fresh water to houses had to come along as well. So the technology uptake of technology is a lot slower than what folk think. Even digital technology is a lot slower than what folk to take up. So that's something to understand. The other one to really understand about this issue is there are people like me who are going to be retiring in the next five years. The baby boom generation makes up a significant part of the mining industry. We're going to see a lot of people moving out the mining industry. Already we're challenged for skills. So when people think about it, they've got to think holistically about this issue of job losses and what it really means. And you may even find that all this stuff really does is it, it actually helps us reduce the vacancies, which we've really had. Yep. You, t- you spoke a lot about, and people are well aware of the renewable energy schemes within Goldfield, as you said, solar, solar panels, battery-powered, gas-fired power stations. How much, in terms of this modernisation, how what's your sort of makeup of where energy is being directed towards increasing efficiencies, but then you've got also looking towards the future of having cleaner mine sites in terms of emissions? I think that, that there's kind of two things to really look at this. Right? There's first of all, there's the underground environment. Okay, you would have a if you look at the mining tree, we'd have a, a cleaner underground environment. One of the biggest things now out there is is diesel particulate matter, and all all the community, all the worries about potential carcinogens and and noxes and all that type of gases underground. So I think when we look at cleaner energy, you will look at Probably in the future, we're going to leave a lot more battery vehicles underground. Already battery vehicles are in its infancy in underground operations, electric vehicles to actually make make the underground operation a lot more cleaner for people, the underground environment a lot more f- cleaner for people. And there's a minor offset in terms of greenhouse gases, but that's a minor thing. But the underground, the underground cleaner environment and the less heat and the less vent is really something to think about. Then there's the other part of the equation about, and it's not so much something like a company like Goldfields, because we don't have coal assets. And if you're in the coal or you've got smelters or greenhouse gases become a big issue. Okay. So we would probably see we would probably see in our environment, because we're not in that Anglo-American BHP environment, we would probably see more more kind of green green type energies. But they're going to be subsidiary power. In other words, they 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 take they they take they're the backup to your your kind of gas gas lines and your your normal type of uh, power plants which you've got. So we would see those probably in the next half decade as a lot more of those, and probably we would actually see those those as back, being backed up. That like the battery technology and. It's funny you mentioned battery technology, diesel particulates. It's that all all that technology is actually very close as well, which is exciting. Is. I just spoke with um, Mal Major from Sandvik the other day, and uh, key focus was on the nano diesel particulates, like the yeah. diesel particulates that we see we're normally seeing. It's the nano yeah. ones that are a hundredth the width of a human hair. They're the ones that are, and and a lot of the focus has been because they've only just been able to measure them. They were just yeah. the fear of the unknown. And because Samvik have just bought uh, Artisan, who is a battery battery vehicle provider, and they've got yeah. like 50-ton trucks that have come out with full battery swap. 
And the exciting thing about it is when you talk about like a Tesla, for example, how it can go yeah. not to not to a hundred and two odd seconds because yeah. you're getting that full energy transfer in a battery system compared to diesel. It's just exciting to know that this battery technology may be available underground soon and the, the i guess the the power will generate but it's being able to have it sustainable throughout a 24-hour operation is the is the is the challenge but i'm sure that technology will be constantly innovating it's and it's it sounds like it's going to be the best of both worlds reducing emissions but increasing efficiencies as well yeah i th think there's several things we we see that the way it's now we see that probably in the next half decade it's they've got units they can use but like you say they're not sustainable they're about probably 70 80 percent of the way there yeah. and that's probably and they're just trying them out now because the problem they've got is they can go work with the things but it takes about two hours after two hours they're they're done they've got to recharge them so it's getting that technology again to go go fast so you'll see in the next half decade the thing which is is a challenge for us and it's a difficulty is that there's a war on between the two different companies supplying that type of technology and the war relates to how you charge those batteries do you take the battery out of the vehicle and put a new one in or do you do you plug the actual bat do you charge a battery with a big plug and we don't know the way in which that's war is going to play out. And that makes it quite difficult for us because the next fleet replacement we're going to have, how do you plan for that? Because obviously if you could have battery bays, we're going to have underground excavations, we're going to plan for those. We've got to have extra substations. So there's a bit, bit of a big unknown now. We know it's coming down the track, but we don't know which way, who's going to be the winner in that fight. And that's a real that's a real thing. We're all sitting on the sidelines saying, "Who's going to win this fight and, be and, between the yellow and the and the orange?" Right? <laughs> and do and do you do you accept the fact that you're charging these batteries with a diesel-fired generator? Well, th th there's kind of another one is that if you look at this and you look at the the kind of and this is this is the issue is is ultimately when you electrify your mines. And that's where the renewables comes in to, to reduce the amount of output you're putting on the on the power station. You still have a diesel or a gas or a coal-fired power station where the emissions are coming out. But the point on that is you actually just have now one source to yep. deal with. Because you're going to have the diesel-fired power station there anyway. That's right. I mean, yep. my, my, my personal feelings when I look at this and I look at the energy use in the world's energy use is we will have to go for some form of coal clean technology, things like carbon sequestration, cleaning up the coal mines, because I don't see, unless we go to nuclear, even if we triple the amount of amount of renewable energies, I, I don't really see us replacing coal. So we have to clean coal up yeah. because pumping tons of carbon in the air is not going to, is not going to be acceptable. And um the thing with renewable energy, any source, any battery solar cell, they do degrade there. Like you, you can't just make a make a a lot of them and be and last forever. You've got to be continually 
replacing them and the That's energy right, that goes yeah. into making them. It's a, it is a whole new beast. But it's it, look, it is very exciting. Mm. A lot of this technology, how it is making its way underground. I know, like Sam Vicker about to release. I think it's the four twenty two. Oh, yeah, a jumbo that has a battery cell for tramming. So yeah, takes away the diesel. No, I've actually driven it. Oh, really? I've actually driven it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, I've, I've, um, I've actually driven the thing in their test mine. Yep. I and drove that, it up and down the decline in the test mine. Yep. It, it's quite as. And does it tram any quicker than does it? Has it got a fast tramming speed because it is on battery or? Yeah, it's about the same. When, when yep. I drove, it was about the same. But what really hit me was how quiet it is. Yep. yep. I mean, that's the one. Well, you should you, be able to hear your radio for a change. It'd be yeah, handy know, in an you, open cab anyway. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, the, the the one which really impressed me was when we saw saw the battery battery powered bogger. The speed which that went up a decline mm. that was just just unreal yeah and that i think that speaks to your your release of that energy that 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 was actually frightening the way it went up 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 the decline in the test mine it was really you are right yeah that the acceleration on those things is a lot higher yeah it's all very it's all very exciting now i guess the modernization as you said you're, for, you're halfway through horizon one what what does this mean down on the ground floor for people people at goldfields mine sites what 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 is this modernization going to mean for them? I think what you're going to see is that there's a couple of things people are going to see on the sites. The first most visible thing which people are now seeing is is actual actual things on the site. In other words, you're seeing the solar plant go up at Granny's. You're seeing the solar plant go up at, say, Agnew. You're going to see physical things like that. You're going to see things like drones being used for survey just exactly like the drones which we just like the drones we actually had at say St. Ives we've now put the drones into into Ghana so you're going to see that type of transfer around the company so you're actually going to see stuff on sites now the other one which you may see is you may see control rooms going up on sites like if you look at South Deep we've got a control room there we're planning an integrated operations center at Sales Norte so you're actually going to see physical things in terms of stuff on site going on. The other thing which people are going to see is we're going to see in the net, we're going to see a lot more communication to the workforce. One of the reasons why we're talking today is about communicating to the workforce about what's going to happen. So we're going to see a lot more people talk about technology innovation. People are getting going to get involved in some of these projects. You're going to see things like new tracks come along, some of the communication systems. What, you, what's new tracks? Yeah, right, right. New tracks is basically is basically um, it's basically uh, it's a it's a communication system which can track 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 people underground. You you can hook into your uh, you can hook into your personal tracking on that. Like you're seeing grannies, we've actually we've got got the lamps hooked into new tracks. Uh, in terms of this, you can check the systems in. You can get your refuge base systems in we, we can run a lot of communication systems such as ventilation and stuff like that off the new tracks i think uh sandvik's getting a good plug today because i think they bought new tracks as well didn't they They did <laughs> yeah they did actually yeah that yeah they actually did they actually bought they bought them bit because of it because it can actually hook into things like the sandvik optimine type systems so that's why they actually bought them because they could see that you could you it, it actually it actually goes with the sandvik suite suite of products so you're going to see a lot more of those projects on the sites there in terms of that. You've got a obviously a very heavy involvement in this modernization. What is your little 
the project within the modernization that excites you the most? What's your little pet project? I think the one which I really like is really what we're going to do with the people. I mean, you know, if you look at this, if you look at the way in which we work, how we can systemize things to make people's people's life life easier. How we can, if we look at, say, companies like Fortescue, where there's a lot of paper systems, where there's a lot, lot, lot of paperless systems, sorry, uh, how we can actually modernize this company, change the culture of this company to make it more like a, a workplace, diverse type culture, and more of a modern type culture as well. That, to me, is a, a manifestation of what people can do. So people can walk, walk to work, and their lives are a lot better. Yeah. Where is the seven years, how do you think seven years to get to the mine in the future? Is that achievable? I think it is. I think the the one which we need is, I think we're slowly getting there, but as everything, it takes longer than what you think is. I think now everyone understands what we're trying to do. When we first started on this journey, everyone thought we we're going to put robots into, into, the, into the mines, and we're not. We're trying to just modernize the business. And we're going to modernize the business, taking existing technology and using that. So there was a bit of resistance. But now people understand what we're really about and what we're really trying to do. We're not trying to put fancy bits of kit and throw money in it. We're trying to do some very, very basic things, which we're all learning. I think so we're on track to do this. We've taken a huge step forward to actually where we've got people on board to say, yeah, this is really what we want to do. The next stage is actually planning this and making sure all the bits and all the enthusiasm which we've got glues all together to a cohesive system. Because when you look at how this stuff works and how the world will work, it'll work on a very integrated basis. You know, you've already seen that integration. If, if you look at your mobile, your iPhone, you look at all the functionality you get on your iPhone. You can look at your bank app, you can get your Google on it. You know, so that's an integrated system. You find that this, so now we're going to integrate all the types of good things we're doing. Fantastic. Well, this all sounds very exciting, and I may even experience some of it myself at Warunga. And I look, I look forward to seeing it uh, gradually deployed. And I'm sure, as you said, it already is being deployed. It's very exciting. Now, Richard, thanks very much for for that. I've got, a, I've got a lot. I always learn a lot out of discussions like this, and it's very exciting to see where the mining industry is going. Thank you very much, mate. Thanks for your time. Thanks a lot. Well, there's a great dose of innovation and technology for you all. And thanks again to Richard Butcher from Goldfields for having me in at their office. It's all very exciting stuff and stuff that we may be experiencing in the not-so-distant future in mining. So just imagine like, if you could operate a tele-remote loader from Perth one day because that's the beauty of innovation. You don't know where it will lead us in the future. So anyway, I hope you all enjoyed that and make sure you stay safe out there. Cheers. Cheers.